0: Let's pray together. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, spirit of prayer, fall on us. Not just praying sort of from the outside in, but would you move from the inside out? That deep place where you alone um, know our hearts. That prayer life, that Jesus himself had not one we invent not one we ourselves manufacture but one where we join what's already being prayed at the throne thank you that for us as Christ followers as as children of the most high God that throne is a throne of grace not of judgment as the place where we find help. Fall fresh on us, Spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I've been, been pushing you, somewhat challenging you, hopefully encouraging you as well, to, to go to another level in your prayer life. My own understanding of Jesus' teaching to his disciples when they said teach us to pray, is he basically said, I have a curriculum for you, a way to teach you to see transformation in your prayer life. And, and, and I believe that you see it in the three things that he said, ask, seek, and knock. And I, as we come to this last section for these two weeks on what does it mean to knock and to see doors open for you, the very first thing you have to think of is that if there's a door, there's a wall. That there's something that you're not getting. There's something that's not happening. There's some answer that you're not seeing. There's some breakthrough that, that is beyond you. There's something on the other side that's worth going through. There's something on the other side that's worth knocking for. But in order to get there, you have to understand even how to knock so that the door will open. And so what I've taken us to and and I'm going to take us back to again this week is the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you'll notice in Matthew 6, we're going to read this together in just a minute, but before we read it, will you notice that it says, this then is how you should pray. It doesn't say this then is what you should pray. The issue for many of us who have religious training is is we say it as if this is what we are to pray instead of understanding it as a pattern for how to pray or a protocol as to how to pray. If you're coming to a king, you have a protocol. If you're coming to have an audience with the sovereign of the universe, there's a how-to And so Jesus lays out not just a great prayer to pray over and over again, but he lays out a pattern or a structure, a protocol for prayer. So let's read this together. Will you read it out loud with me? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we're going to see breakthrough, we need to look at the Lord's Prayer. One of the the reasons is this, is that the reason that you pray or the reason that, that you have any kind of hunger or a thirst is that within you there is a relentless, whether you recognize it or not, there's this relentless need for spiritual connection with God. That every hunger you try to satisfy, every thirst you try to satisfy is just telling you there is within you this this need to connect with God. And if you're going to connect with God, then there's never been a more influential, more powerful or impactful spiritual leader than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in this prayer, here's how you connect to God. Now, one of the reasons that I think this is important is because it really doesn't, in some ways, it doesn't matter how long you pray or how passionately you pray or even how pretty you pray. One person in earlier service came up to me and says, I'm not a very pretty prayer. It doesn't matter. It matters. What matters is, do you get answers? I mean, if you're going to invest your time, if you're going to do something spiritual, then that investment Should have in some way its own consequences that are positive towards you or that that have in some way results that matter to you. In other words, if I'm going to go against the wall, I want to find a door. And if the door is locked, I want to find a key. And if if the key works, then I want to open the door. I don't want to just keep doing it, beating my head over and over again and not seeing any results. In some ways, You can measure your prayer life by how big your results are or your answers are. The bigger the answers, the bigger your prayer life. The smaller the answers, the smaller your prayer life. You don't have to measure it by how long, how pretty. how how. Sometimes people want to measure it by how theologically correct. You'll know it's theologically correct if you get an answer. If you don't, there's something wrong. The default setting of our Father is to answer yes. He would not invite you to pray if he didn't intend to answer. The second thing is that the Lord's Prayer has become way too familiar to most of us. For many of us, it's a prayer we say so fast, we try to see if we can say it without a breath. We try to see how quickly we can go through it. And if you grew up in a tradition where they made you pray the prayer as penance, you probably say it faster than anybody else. Well, Jesus is saying this is the key to connect to God. Now, here's what I here's what I'd like for those of you who who like me asked, how do I pray when you were either when you are younger or you're growing up or whatever it was? I was originally taught something called Acts. And Acts spells out four aspects of prayer: adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now Here's the way in my young Christian life I was thinking, okay, how do I get what I want? You know, basically it would be things like this girl broke my heart, I'd like her back as my girlfriend, how do I get her back? And so I figured out, okay, acts might work, it makes sense to me. I'll do three things for God and then he'll have to do something for me. All right, I'll adore him somewhat, I'll confess a little bit, I'll be somewhat thankful if he does what I want him to do. And then I'm going to ask him and say, look, look at all I did for you. You should should give this back to me. And so I was incensed when he did not answer yes after I followed Acts. I was often very upset with him because I had this formula. Well, one problem is it's not biblical formula. He didn't, if, if Acts was the way to approach God, then he would have given this to the disciples. Come on, you've got to admit, <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, so what did he give to the disciples? Well, he gave the Lord's Prayer. So any of you, if you want, first off, you want proper protocol for praying, then you go to his formula, you go to his pattern. Now, I would say that the pattern doesn't start off with Acts, but rather, I would call it triple triple A. The first A is basically everything, everything depends on your approach. If you approach God as a renter or a business agreement, you will get nowhere with God. But if you approach God as a child, as a son or a daughter, you see, the only person who can wake a king up at 2 a.m. and ask for a glass of water and not get their head chopped off is a son <laughs> or a daughter. Now, the king will either get out of bed and get them the water, or he'll make his wife get out of bed and get them, the, <laughs> get them the water, you know? But either way, he will not reproach his own child for asking. Approach is everything. Secondly, when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, he's, saying, he's then saying, what you adore is everything. He doesn't put, give us bread first. He puts, what do you adore first? because if your treasure is something other than Jesus then what you're asking for is him to resource your idolatry he's not going to do that that's why so many of you here know so often it's because you'll say god if you don't give me this promotion i won't live god if you won't give me this girlfriend i don't know i'll kill myself god if, you know he, fortunately he usually says no to your bad taste Okay. I mean think about the ones where he said no to you and it was just such a good thing he said no. <laughs> All right? What you adore will either heal you or destroy you. And if you adore something that cannot adore you back, then you're adoring the wrong thing. The one who adores you is Jesus. And before you ask for bread, he asks, "Will you adore me for who I am? Will you hallow my name whatever you make hallow is that which is your true treasure so if you're asking god to give you your treasure and that treasure is not god it is his right to say no so today is actually a harder one than that and it's basically that you you move from approach you you move to adoration but then you move to adjustment And then without the adjustment, without the adjustment, you don't get to ask for bread. And the adjustment is basically this, your will be done. Before he ever lets you ask for bread in this pattern, he says, first, you have to get to the place where you begin to say, not my will, but yours. Let your will happen. Now, I had to go back hundreds of years to find a theologian that actually gets this, because in in our modern day, we have a totally different sensibility about the will of God. We are constantly trying to bend his will to our comfort. I had to go back hundreds of years to get one who wrote it correctly. Basically, when you say to God, let your will happen or your will be done, you are saying, Lord, I will diligently do everything you command me to do and I will submit patiently to all you inflict on me. Can you imagine a modern person saying that? And yet that's exactly what we're saying when we say your will be done. We're saying, I will do everything you have commanded. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he says that we're also saying, whatever comes my way, whatever you permit Whatever you have allowed to happen, I will endure it. I will endure it. Why would I say that? Because I because I firmly believe in Romans 8:28 that says God works all things together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purposes. You see, when I say your will be done, I am making a declaration of trust. I'm making a declaration of trust. And when I say it before. I get my bread. I have it in the right order. What happens is that Jesus says that before you can ask for bread, he wants you to soften your heart. He wants you to melt your will. In a sense, if you think through this, the only reason you're asking for the bread is because you don't have it. So who moved it? (laughs) The reason you need that job that you don't have he could have given you that job without even you asking. That relationship that's on the rocks, he could have fixed it without you even asking. But he's chosen to put it behind a wall. He's chosen to put the financial provision behind a wall that you have to find a door to knock on. He's chosen a health issue that you have. He's chosen to put it behind a wall. And, and he's done so to heat things up in your life. Now, you can respond to the heat in your life and say, get me out of this furnace. I have no right, you know, you have no right to put me in this furnace. Or you can say, I'm going in the furnace because I'm I'm like gold. Or I'm metal. And metal only bends and can only be redesigned and it can only be redone if there's heat. Only if there's heat can... My will be bent and shaped to his will. Well, most of us, we live really differently than that. We live more in this modern age where we believe that all of us deserve a good life. And we get to not only define what that good life is, but we believe we should have some control over that life. And so prayer becomes our leverage to get the good life. And when God doesn't come through, we throw away prayer. Instead of saying, your will be done. Now, I don't know how many of you in this room, in the first service it was surprising to me how many, you, but there were many people today who have come to this, these services who have spent a lot of time praying the Lord's Prayer as penance. That because they disobeyed in some way or they sinned in some way, they were given an assignment to overcome their disobedience by continually saying, some people ten times, some of you so bad a hundred times, and some of you beyond help a thousand times, and, <laughs> and, and you had to say these things because you were willful and disobedient and you wanted to avoid the consequences of your disobedience. So some religious person said, say this over and over again. Do you know what? You wasted your time. They fooled you. They fooled you because, friends, if your heart doesn't mean what your mouth is saying, God looks at the heart. The words you say are hypocritical if they're not consistent with what the heart is is committing itself to. If I have not said in my heart, let your will happen, then my words have no meaning. I've actually lied. Because what matters to the Father is what's going on in secret, not what's going on in public. And many of you, many of you, you're here today because He wants to take you to a new place of breakthrough. He wants to take you to a new place of authority. He wants to take you to a new place of effectiveness where when you pray, you get answers. That when you pray, you move heaven. And earth is is changed by and transformed by your prayers. But in order for that to happen, you yourself have to be bent, reshaped, redesigned into a place where you trust that the gap between what you know and what he knows is okay with you because you trust him. Now, there's a sense in which you have to ask the question, okay, so where in my life do I pray your will be done? Well, again, I remind you that, in fact, the daily bread position, which basically is Jesus saying you have the right, you have the permission from God to ask for all the things that you need and all the things you desire, that the bread is his provision for the necessities of your life. It may not give you a cappuccino with f- four shots in it, but it is definitely the fulfillment of everything you truly, deeply hunger for and thirst after. And it's real. It's stuff you can taste and touch. It's stuff you can wear. It's, it's a shelter over your head. It's all the things you need in order to be successful and to, to, to have a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. But the link that Jesus makes is not the link that we even express in the way that we pray. When we pray, we usually pray like this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Breath, pause, give us this day our daily bread. The way Jesus prayed it was probably more like this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us this day our daily bread. He connected the two. That as you begin to realize that you're bending to the will of God now opens up for the blessing of the bread. Mm. That by by separating them, you are are cutting off the channel of your blessing. By seeing them together, you begin to to understand that by, by submitting my will and surrendering my will, I am opening myself up to the miraculous. I'm opening myself up to the impossible. For with God, nothing is impossible. So what does he do? Well, usually he stops giving you what you need so that you will pay attention. I hope that's the Lord. (laughs) Um, I've been doing a study and it, it impressed me a recent study on people's temperaments. And this recent study came out and said that there are basically three types of temperaments that each of us at least has some sense of. And the three that they've come out with is that there's the anxious type, and that's the person who feels responsibility very deeply, everything's kind of a burden, worry is very natural, care, because it's, it's a sort of relationship or responsibility that just... Is natural to them. The second type is a person who deals with life by becoming more aggressive, more initiative, uh, wants to dominate, wants to control. And the third type is the—it's called phlegmatic, but it's basically your more passive, more chill, more laissez-faire kind of person. And if you are a parent, you tend to know which one of your kids are this. For example, uh, my son kind of—he's sort of. uh, vacillates and he 's a little bit of a hybrid between the anxious and the phlegmatic but he's but when he was a kid he was incredibly incredibly a, this sort of passive phlegmatic chill kind of guy he didn 't like things to bother him he hates conflict, but we used to call him Eeyore. <laughs> which is really you probably need to break that curse after the service yeah. but uh but the reason was that he would he would he would automatically just make some assumptions that weren't true. So one day in elementary school, he comes home and he goes, Billy asked me to go over his house and spend the night, but I knew you wouldn't let me, so I told him no. <laughs> and he said it exactly like that. <laughs> and we looked at him and we said, we said Joseph, we would have let you go, but we would have called his parents, make sure there was a safe home, make sure there actually was a person named Billy. And... Uh, <laughs> You know we, and he goes, "I know that 's why I told him no <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you got this you know so you 've got this kind of this dynamic where you have these anxious people, you have these driven people, and you have these chill people, and the chill people don 't feel anxiety, but they cause a lot of it <laughs> you know and, and, and so what is what what we 've been taught as parents truthfully in the media, for years and years, is just keep them in their box. You know, if they're anxious, make sure they don't have too much, too much responsibility. Make sure that, you know, you don't, you don't fuss at them for being so anxious. If they're, if they're driven and they're angry and they're impatient, let them explode. It'll be okay. Or if they're you know if they're laissez-faire, they're just kind of passive. Don't push them. Don't do. It. Just let them natural. And you know what's happening in the last five years is the studies are showing that was complete and utter nonsense, that it's hurting kids, because really and truly, when you when you're a good parent, you know they have greater potential than their temperament. Yeah. A good parent doesn't leave them in the block the box. It, good parent explodes the box and knows that even if your child is anxious, they can be courageous, that they can be a person of faith, and they can rise up and take risk, and they can do it in ways that even the aggressive person can't. So you you push them, and the aggressive person, you recognize as a parent that even though they're not naturally patient, that you can teach them compassion. And you can teach them to be patient. And the person who's passive, you realize passivity is an open door to the enemy, and you realize you have to get them out of that. So what does God do? Well, to the anxious, he speeds up your life. He makes you go faster than you ever thought you could go. And you start crying out, you said you wouldn't give me more than I can handle. And he cries back and says, you can handle a lot more than you think. To the aggressive one, he cries out. And he says, I'm going to slow you down. I'm going to slow you down. I'm going to make it to where you're going so slow you don't think you're going at all. <laughs> and you're sitting there rah, chafing under the bridle and the bit. And what's he doing? He's teaching you. He says, the day will come when you can run. But not today. And that person who's passive, he shows He shows in that, oftentimes in the passive person, he shows that that peace is a great place of foundation, but it's only the foundation. And he begins to move them out into responsibility and gives them conflicts and gives them situations, unavoidable, something they love, something they treasure, enough that blows up their world because he will not leave you in the box of your temperament. You see, this is why... This is why it's so hard to say let your will be done because I want to stay in my safe box. I have a, I have a dog that I love. He's, he's driving me crazy at times, but I love this dog. And I bought him for years these pillows, <laughs> and he does not like them. <laughs> but I bought him this, I found it cheap, this one that kind of has like a, it's a circle or a, uh, oval and it has sides on it he loves it because he feels safe in his oval and he goes and he curls up in the in his oval and sometimes when i see that i said that that's like us we just want our little oval we want our little spot we want to feel the walls we want to feel safe we want to know what the rules are we want to know you know what the score is and god says that's not it. You're not renters. You're children. You're not slaves, you're free. There's no there's no payday, there's gifts. Wow. There's no salary, there's unconditional love. Everything I have is yours. Well, Our perfect father in heaven in Isaiah 63 says, I don't love you for what you give me. I love you for who you are. (laughs) This might be a tricky one for you, but if everything God did made sense to you, you'd be in trouble. (laughs) The fact it doesn't make sense to you is really a good thing because then he is God and not the God of your imagination. The other thing is this, and you might say to him sometimes, why does it have to be so hot? Well, because metal only bends when it's hot. If it's not first heated up, the metal breaks. He knows how to bend you. He knows how to shape you. Quit fighting him. Well, why is it okay to say this? And how do I start saying it? Well, Basically, it's because it's relationship, it's personal. He's a person, not a program. In some ways, you have to remember this. He's not praying to you. You're praying to him. This is the fascinating thing to me is that so many people act as if when they're praying to him, he should come over and do their will and be on their agenda. And then we're angry when he isn't. When I was when I was trying to learn to pray about 20 years ago, I decided I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. And I wrote out 35 prayer requests, and every Monday I fasted. Every time I was hungry, I pulled my index cards out and I prayed through my 35. <laughs> what I realized now is they weren't prayer requests, they were demands. And I was thinking that by, by fasting, I was holding him hostage. At the end of the year, none of the 35s were answered. I tore the piece of paper up, threw it away. Five years later, we were moving. I found the piece of paper in my desk. I'm telling you, I tore it up. I threw it away. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand the miracle of this paper. I'll tell you that <laughs> right now. Because I'm sitting there. I pull it out. and I go, I threw you away. Because <laughs> I was so angry. And, and I pulled it out. And I look five years later every single request had been answered and i had rejected prayer i had rejected fasting and i said i'm not going to i'm not going to do this anymore and there were 35 and he said it's because you're a child you're my child i can answer you and now i realized that the the fasting and the requests were basically rent i was trying to pay and then say landlord fulfill the rent fulfill the lease and he said i'll never ever answer you as a renter i'll only answer you as a son it blew me away when that happened well think about this with me my wife and i we've been married 35 years this summer and she still asks me the question, do you love me? And when I say yes, she asks me five minutes later, do you love me still? And do you still love me? And sometimes she's asked the question, do you like me? And I always go, I like you, I don't like this question. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, she, so after it's over, she goes, do you like me still? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, ah, And so, but it's so fascinating to me that she asked that question in a way. What she's asking is, am I safe with you? Can I be secure? And so if I answer, which is a typical male answer, if I answer her in a typical way, I'll I'll list all the wonderful things about my wife. And I'll say, here's why I love you. You're beautiful. You're smart. You, you, you make good food. You know, you do all of this stuff. (laughs) And start putting a list out. Basically, if I answer in that way, she has no reason for security. Because I'm telling her she's a commodity. I'm saying, you are the means to my end of my happiness. And so what I'm really saying to her is this, and I think I'm going to put it on a Hallmark card. (laughs) I love you because you are so serviceable to me. Oh, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work, does it? There's not a wife or a woman in here. I want to marry you because you're so serviceable to me. Not a single person wants that, and yet that's exactly what we do. Because none of us understand unconditional love. We love each other conditionally. We love because of what you bring to me, and when you stop bringing it to me, I stop loving you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, don't come to God like that. Come to God because you love him for who he is. As a matter of fact, don't come to your wife like that or your husband. I've realized the security my wife has in me is not because I love her for who, you know, what she can do for me or what she's done for me or what she will do for me. The only way we will be able to grow old together is if I love her for who she is. If that's true in a personal relationship between a man and a woman, how much more is it true between you and your God? Now, I want you to stay with me for just a minute on this. In a way, prayer is wrestling with God. And there are two people in the scriptures who are spoken to us and and proclaimed to us as those who wrestle with God. The first is Jacob. Jacob. Jacob, at first, did not know he was wrestling God. All he knew was this was mysterious stranger came into the camp and started wrestling with him. After a while, he starts getting an inclination. You know what? This is God. I think I can pin him. That's what he, If you look at it closely, he starts going, I think I can take God. So he starts to really wrestle. And what he's planning to do is to pin God so he can get from God what he wants from God which is funny cuz if you have a god you could wrestle and hold he ain't much of a god right not a god at all but jacob jacob suddenly gets a revelation of the power of god and he just touches jacob's leg puts him out of joint he's lame for the rest of his life suddenly jacob goes i'm wrestling with god and i'm not going to win Now, it seems like the reasonable thing at this point would be to let God go before he gets the other leg. (laughs) Right? I mean, just, uh, okay, God, you you God, you you proved it. But what does Jacob do? He doesn't let go. Because what he realizes is, I don't need what God has. I need God. He says, I have God. God. You understand, that's what Jesus is saying in this prayer. You're not wrestling to get the bread. You're wrestling to get the God of the bread. And when you have him, you don't let go because the bread's coming. But see, if, if, if he just gives you the bread without giving you himself, then the bread will never be satisfying. It will never, it will never quench your thirst. It will never... Uh, satisfy your hunger. But when you have him, Jacob got it. And what happened is he was born again. He stopped being Jacob and suddenly he was Israel which means I wrestled with God and overcame. That's what's being called for in our prayer lives. The second one is really powerful to each of us. It's Jesus wrestling with God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he's sweating Drops of blood start coming out in a sweat. He's asking the question, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from you, from me. But then he says, Not my will, but yours be done. Now, before you take a shortcut on that one, oftentimes I've seen people, they'll come into a hospital room or they'll come into a prayer meeting and they'll be all religious and spiritual and I just want to punch them in Jesus name <laughs> with all love <laughs> and they'll say something like this well father if it be your will heal so and so and I just want to say get out of here i mean if you were if someone comes in and they're praying for me if it be your will heal this person, I want to say, get out of here. We don't need your prayers. You're useless to me. I'll tell you why. Because they've not wrestled with God. So they neither have God, nor do they have the bread. And they're making excuses for God before they ever even ask for the bread. Don't pray for me like that. Get out of my hospital room. Get off my deathbed. I'll die without you. you've got to understand there's got to be something in us that starts getting riled up if we're going to pray let's pray right if we're going to pray let's wrestle with god let's get god and then we'll get the bread Mm. but if you come in and already you're making excuses you neither have god nor do you have the bread and we don't need it Mm. our hunger will not be satisfied with religion Our hunger and our thirst will not be satisfied by those who take shortcuts. It will only be those who wrestle with God and say, this may kill me, but I'm not letting you go. I have you. I have you. Because once you have him, the bread just comes, right? The only reason you're not having the bread is because you don't have him. Because he has to show you himself so through the bread so that you'll want him more than the bread. Can we pray together about this? Will you stand with me? I'm going to ask Pastor Dan to come and pray over us. But before we do... See, you in here, it doesn't matter what your prayer life has been before. Jesus is saying... You can have both God and the bread. You can have both. But in order to do that, your will has to break. You have to submit. You have to say, whatever it takes, I want both. Whatever you need to do in me, do it now. I'm asking you, those of you who are visiting with us, those of you who are a part of us, I'm saying God invited you here to take you to a new level of prayer. Don't miss that. We're going to have prayer people up here at the front. They'll, You can make a commitment right now. I'm going for, I'm going for wrestling with God. I'm going, to see, I'm going to see the breakthrough. I'm going to see the door open. Some of you, there's some particular doors that you know they're on your heart. Today is the day to go after them. Well, Our people will pray with you. There's something special about two of pe- people agreeing. The Bible says if two of you agree is touching anything, God will do it. We want to believe him for his promises and in agreement. So, will you avail yourself even as we finish up our time here together?